Bigs. Bigs time. Bigs. With Molly and Haw. Bigs time. The Bigs Report with Brad Bigs. Bigs time. Bigs. His name is Brad Bigs. Brad Bigs talks football with you. Mully and Hall, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, Brad Biggs, the football man of the Chicago Tribune, a long-time contributor to the station and a valued friend. And he joins us now, as all guests do, on the Score Hotline, brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Big Zay! Morning, Brad. Morning, boys. What's going on? Well, I'm uh, very curious to see what's going on. Uh, Jalen Carter leaving the combine yesterday, turning himself into police in Athens, Georgia, and then being released, I believe, 16 minutes later. Apparently, the charges are misdemeanor charges. We were talking about it this morning. The Bears talk a big game, right, about about character and about uh, their culture, etc., does this mean they don't draft a player like Jalen Carter? Does this mean they don't trap draft a player like Jalen Carter in the top five? Does this mean they take him midway through the first round of the draft? Is this is this a a really bad thing for the Bears? A potentially good thing for the Bears? How do you read it? Well, I, I think the first thing we need to mention is this is a tragic thing, right? Yep. He he's been he's been charged with some crimes in relation to an incident where two young people uh, lost their lives. So I think that's the first thing we have to keep in perspective. There have been reports that he lied to police about this as well, which would be um, concerning to the Bears or 31 other teams that were taking a look at at what's going on here. And this is just the <clears throat> latest thing that teams are having to uh, dig in and look into involving Jalen Carter. I don't believe that he's got a criminal history prior to this, but there's, um, like I said yesterday, there's just more than enough stuff there in his background that teams have been doing an awful lot of work on it. And a fear, uh, and we'll see where this thing goes, right? You know, I mean, there's a process. There's a, um, it's got to go to the courts, all that. But there would be a fear for any team that would take him. What's going to happen next when he's in our locker room? Like, what's the next thing going to be? So, um, it, it's a tragic situation. Two people, two young people lost their lives, and it's, um, uh, a complicating factor for a very um, talented player who may wind up going uh, lower in the draft. Brad, because of the gravity of the situation that you described well, and, and because of the weight of the other stuff that was already you know, part of the equation before this was even, even came to light, I wonder if the Bears are just going to stay away because I think there's so much risk involved that I'm not sure Ryan Poles is in the position to take one that big. Let me ask you this, though. Practically speaking, if Will Anderson emerges as a guy that they really now feel like they have to have, can you see them changing the entire approach to their thought process in terms of trading down, how far they would go down? Doesn't this change almost everything about our perceived plan that Ryan Poles maybe would have had 
going into the combine? I don't think so because they the Bears need so much, Dave. They they need multiple picks in this draft. They need more than a normal allotment of picks in next year's draft. They did, you know, just look at the critical areas. They need, what are we looking at? 75% of a defensive line brand new this year. If, if not a hundred percent, right. They, they need a wide receiver in the worst way they need. I figure we're looking at at least 40% of a new offensive line minimum and, and some more depth there uh, as well. I think they've got a greater need at cornerback than most people would uh, talk about. Certainly they need a weak side linebackers. There's so much stuff that they need that I, I just don't know. I, I mean, could they stay at one and take Will Anderson and be really happy with Will Anderson? No question. That, that would be real easy to do. Uh, but Will Anderson isn't a throwback to, uh, what, you know, Charlie Bidnarik. Was he the last two-way player in the NFL? Um, he, he can't fill uh, multiple uh, spots for them uh, on the depth chart. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, as much as we celebrate the Bears having uh, the first overall pick, they only have uh, one in the top 50, they only have three in the top 100. And we've talked about this when we talked about how they got all those linemen in the final 100 last year. You'd be better off getting them in the first 100. So they need more selections. They need to parlay that pick into more. I found it fascinating to hear everyone's kind of stance yesterday. Uh, you know, we heard from, uh, uh, from, from Chris Ballard. We heard from... Uh, the uh, the Panthers. I mean, it was just it, it was amazing how nobody apparently is interested in that number one pick, but there will be a massive market for it. Yeah, well, the, you have to ask yourself a question though, <clears throat> and I think the Bears will, will, are probably trying to answer this question as well. Who are they? Who are they trading up for? Right? Who who's the guy? If there was a clear cut player right now where everybody looked at it and said, yep, that, that's the quarterback that's going one, I think there's a, there's a real chance the Bears would be staying there and taking the quarterback. Like if it was a, a slam dunk quarterback prospect mm. of that nature, that they wouldn't be able to pass on that. So you, so you step back and look at it and you say, that player doesn't exist right now. So, so who are they coming up to get? And the uh, – driven need uh, which will stretch to desperation for some of these teams could quite possibly and very well may create a situation where someone does want to trade up for the pick but but seriously like who are they coming to get right which which guy is it that's that's a great question brad and i guess that brings me back to what what i asked previously is that if there is no quarterback that emerges and Will Anderson is clearly the number one player in your board. And I respect the quantity over quality emphasis because the Bears need every position filled. I get that. And I, I think we, we all understand that. But I just wonder if yesterday in removing Jalen Carter from the top of your board increased the likelihood or maybe the chances, even if they were small, 
that you would either stay at one or go down no lower than two because the Cardinals are there wanting Will Anderson at three. And if you've got to get that guy because there's no one who is good enough for someone to be compelled to move up to get, would you stay and go no lower than two and draft the generational guy who you think is the next Micah Parsons? Is he a generational guy? Like, I, I think we've been so focused on him and Carter that uh, that we've maybe overstated. Maybe. That, and, and Will Anderson may, may go on to have a fantastic career, but when I talk to scouts, they all like him. I I haven't found a guy that's compared him to some of these elite uh, game-changing players that we've seen the past couple of years, you know, scouts are notoriously uh, hard on players when they evaluate them. You know, there's an element of looking for what's uh, wrong with the guy instead of what's right with him. But I don't think they put him in a class with a with a Miles Garrett or a, or a Nick Bosa. So is he, is he a generational player? I, he may okay. that, very good well information. become that. That's good information because I think that there's an assumption that he could be. And if you're talking to people that are saying that maybe he isn't, that's worth knowing because the Bears need to know that. But in fairness, when we look at that, this is the teardown portion of the program, right? (laughs) You, you, what this, what happens starting at the combine is when you start looking for warts, you, you build up this view of the player based on the tape. Look what he can't do. You got to interview him and you got to look at other things. You do your background checks and then you break down tape with them and you do and and then you try to tear them down, and then before the draft, you want to build them back up in your mind, and you want to figure out who he is. I I, I would have no yeah, problem it, hearing that because I think that's and, and like I think the I think the character stuff with Will Anderson is strong. I from what I've been told, you know, if you want a guy who is a real alpha among a locker room full of alphas at Alabama, he's your guy. Right, and and he's got the production, and you see it on tape. So you could take Will Anderson first overall and feel great about it, and I, and certainly I think the fan base would feel fantastic about it. The only issue, as, as we talked about earlier, is they've just got uh, so many um, blank spots on their depth chart on both sides of the ball right now, and a and a lack of volume of picks. The Seattle Seahawks guys have four picks before the Bears have their second pick in this draft. The Detroit Lions in the same division have three picks before the Bears get their second uh, choice. And then Detroit's fourth pick comes like two picks after the Bears at 54. I think the Lions are at 56. So um, they've just got so many needs that I can understand wanting to stay for the opportunity to get the top front seven defensive player on the board. Um, I can understand and probably buy into more, maybe seeking that trade package. If it comes, that gives you more depth in this draft, potentially more depth uh, in 2024. And, And then you start making a little more progress toward getting the building blocks, not a building block, but multiple foundational players to get this thing uh, rolling in the right direction. Great point, Brad. So if the Bears theoretically are in the bottom part of the top 10, say they're at nine 
one of the guys that might be in under consideration spoke yesterday, Texas Tech's Tyree Wilson, who's a mountain of a man, but yeah. also made a strong impression. I wonder what you think of you're hearing about him, and is he the kind of player that would fit the profile? Okay, if you don't take Will Anderson because of some concerns or whatever and it's too high and you want to multiply that pick into multiple picks to get more in the top 100, if you're in a position to take Tyree Wilson, what are you getting? Yeah, you're getting getting a really, really dynamic. It comes in a big package. I mean, did, did, I watched uh, – some stuff at him when I thought there was a chance that he would be at the senior bowl and he had a minor injury. So he ended up uh, not being a mobile to play in the game. And I mean, he's, he's huge and he's powerful. And I think what, what people saw from Tyree Wilson this past season is a guy who is dominating at times without great technique and great technique can come at the next level with strong coaching. Uh, so if you feel like he's a guy that's going to be um, a quick learner and that type of thing, you start refining some of what he's doing. And, you know, it's the sky's the limit thing because he's, he's massive, you know, and super long arms. And like I said, extremely uh, strong and powerful. So he he's going to be an interesting guy wherever he goes. Uh, he could uh, he could be a dominant left end uh, for the Bears. He's got that kind of size. And and again, there are a lot of players that are kind of I mean, not him in particular, but there are a lot of players that are going to move up in value after this, right? And and you'll yeah, see, and there's, and there's, yeah. Go ahead. There's there's edge rushers in this draft. Yes. There's it's it's a solid draft for edge rushers. Now it's more thin as it always is uh, for that disruptive interior defensive lineman like Jalen Carter. Those guys are more difficult uh, to find. But if you don't get a Will Anderson, and you you do have picks where they need to be, you've still got an opportunity to get a pretty good. Uh, young pass rusher, and it's a critical need for the Bears coming off uh, a 20-sack season. I mean, 20 sacks is um, – that, that's just ridiculous. So they've got to uh, address that, and and that's something that Will Anderson couldn't do by himself. I mean, they were so undermanned uh, when it came to getting after the quarterback that that's why I said, that, that, you know, they need three new starters – on that defensive line and they need, they need a, a situational pass rusher that can come in and help out if Dominique Robinson uh, can't grow into that role uh, after a rookie season where, you know, I thought he was disappointing in the second half of the year. So Brad, okay, take us back. Let's, let's take a step back to yesterday and you've been to a lot of combines and your spot is well established and you've done a lot of these things. How do you, how do you put into what happened yesterday into context? Jalen Carter, the news, when it broke, why it may have broken the the timing that it did, and the reaction from teams because, as we heard from the Panthers GM, they, they had a conversation in a meeting with Jalen Carter the night before. It didn't come up. So this caught a lot of thing, a lot of teams off guard, which I guess is a bit of a surprise as well. How would you just describe what happened and how unusual it was? Yeah, well, I think anytime it's it's pretty rare when you've got a player at the combine 
and there are arrest warrants issued for him. Like that's and and how the timing of that happened uh, for uh, law enforcement uh, in Athens, Georgia. I I don't have any idea. Uh, obviously, uh, the the tragic accident was in uh, early to mid January. Right. So that's it's, it's been a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's you know and and I. It's my understanding that law enforcement spoke with Carter uh, at least a couple times. Uh, so how that came together and the timing, yeah, again, I, I don't know. But yeah, I talked to a guy uh, earlier this week who had who had interviewed uh, Carter. At, no, it didn't come up. I mean, but but these are eighteen minute interviews, and trust me, um, they had a whole <laughs> they had a whole lot of stuff on the list that they couldn't get to in those eighteen minutes. Uh, but this would have been at the forefront. So. Yeah, when you when you've got something going on, when teams aren't aware of it, uh, when there are reports that you potentially were not honest with uh, police. I mean, this is all stuff that's it's going to make um, a tragic situation a lot messier uh, for Jalen Carter as he looks to the next level. You know, some people use the Warren Sapp uh, comparison because Warren Sapp was obviously a, a dominant player at that same position, and Warren Sapp fell in the draft. Warren Sapp uh, fell in the draft because back then they put, <clears throat> you know, an emphasis on guys who tested positive for marijuana, and Warren Sapp was a jerk, okay? Uh, so that's why he fell in the draft. Uh, it wasn't uh, – there, there weren't really issues with Sapp uh, beyond that. So the Jalen Carter situation is uh, more complex than that. Yeah, and, and um, I think I understand that. I I think we all saw – I think everybody was really shocked and surprised when that happened yesterday. But the fact that they're misdemeanor charges would seemingly indicate that there's not going right. to be a legal uh, – enough legal ramification to prevent him from being in the draft. So then it comes down to, as you mentioned, you know, what does the character issue – where do you conclude – uh, you know, ideas of citizenship versus football character, all that stuff that we've talked about uh, for years and years. Someone will draft the guy. They just probably won't draft him as high as they might have. But he will even, you know, if indeed his his legal situation is, is somehow remedied, and even if he's facing uh, some sort of civil suits, who knows what's going to happen that would not preclude him from being available in the draft and taken in the draft. No, not at all. Not at all. And and I think the the question and the issue you have is when you're when you're in the neighborhood where the Bears are right now, um, you've you've got to be very uh, concerned and focused on the floor of the player you're taking, not just the ceiling and the overall talent, but. I mean, you can't, you can't take a guy in the top five and have some reservations about the floor that you're getting with the player because uh, if, if that, that floor winds up being low, uh, then you're the GM and the organization that, that just blew it on a very high draft pick for a player that there were known issues with. Like, that, that's, how, that's how guys can you know, add something to the resume that gets them fired. Uh, sooner rather than later. So, yeah, he's going to be picked. Uh, he, he could be picked in round one. He could be picked high in round one if if someone uh, feels comfortable 
uh, enough with it. I, I talked to people yesterday. I'm like, well, what, what does this mean? Where does he go? And they're like, you know, way, way too early to, uh, to, to reach any conclusion on that. But it would be, it would be difficult based on what happened yesterday morning uh, for him to go in the, in the top few picks, I would think maybe that changes in the next couple of weeks and, and, or the next month or so. But it's, um, again, it's a tragic situation that has made things um, very complicated for, for the individual. Quickly, Brad, what do you think of Ryan Poles installing a putting green and a dartboard in the Bears' suite for those <clears throat> meetings with prospects? Yeah, I, I mean, maybe they're going to add a game room at, uh, at House Hall. I don't know. I, you, you want you – want, uh, <laughs> You want the players to um, to to not be nervous. You you kind of want to you don't want to catch them off guard. But you know, I was talking to a guy about interviewing quarterbacks, and he said, you, you know, you want to put them in a situation where they're answering a question that they haven't rehearsed time and time again as they get ready for the combine. You wanna you want to get a kind of a natural response to them. So maybe. Mixing it up like that is something that creates that, <clears throat> excuse me, creates that kind of setting uh, for these players, not just the quarterbacks, but every player where um, you've just done your best to create some type of uh, loose situation. If they're going to have that stuff, though, I mean, they're going to need, what, a kegerator uh, and, and some other stuff, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> let's, let's be real here. <laughs> Big Z, you're the best. Thank you, buddy. Thanks, Brad. All right, guys, have a great day. That is our guy, Brad Biggs, live from the uh, Combine Tribune football man. If a quarterback's bad at darts, do you not draft him? You know, it's interesting. I remember I got into a thing one time. I wrote something along the lines that Shane Matthews was not a good athlete. Do you remember this? <laughs> and and he got so peeved with me, he basically char- he, he wanted to challenge me to a game of Bar Olympics. Because in his mind, like, he could hit a three. He could, you know, golf very well. Like, how could he be a bad athlete? He had great eye-hand coordination. Hand-eye coordination like, versus athleticism that's what is I, different. That's what I explained to him. Yeah. And uh, he wanted to have a darts game. And, and I told him, I told him I'd, I'd cut cards with him for 100 bucks. <laughs> but he wouldn't go for No. It. But isn't that funny? Like, he, he really was mad about it. And you know guys like that. Oh, yeah. You, you know people that are – unbelievable eye-hand coordination guys. I had a friend in college who was just incredible, could play any ping-pong darts, sport, pool, anything, you know? everything just comes Throw naturally. Throw the ball, shoot the ball, just yeah. had great. Oh. But would you would you call the guy a good athlete? He was kind of a floppy some body. Of the, some of the best shooters I ever have been around growing up in the great state of Indiana were not great athletes. Right. They're just great shooters. Right. And that's a big difference. But there's a great value in that, too. And some of the greatest athletes I've ever been around. We're not great shooters. We're not great shooters. That's right. It's interesting. Anyway, there's there's your answer. It's Molly and Hall. We'll have to do some Bar Olympics. Molly and Hall on the score. You study up on those teams, like study up on the Bears and yeah. kind of look at what Yeah, they of got course. Good. You know, my agency clutch, they do a really good job of making sure that we know we have all the information that we need and everything like that. So it's good. Have you met with the Bears yet? Yes, I have. Just once so far? Yes. How did the meeting with the Bears go? It went really good. You know, um, went in there, watched a couple of tape, really just got to know me, got to know them. And the culture is great there, and I can tell they're on something special. 
<laughs> That's Will Anderson, uh, Molly and Hall on the score. Will knows. He could tell. They're onto something special. Onto something special. Straight out of Especially Central Casting. Especially if they take him with Especially the first pick. that. Especially if they take him first overall. That's right. Will Anderson, no matter what, right? Is that going to be Ryan Poles that on movie, draft day? I saw that movie was on, like, it was on television somewhere. Unfortunately, I didn't. I didn't subscribe to the station. But I thought, had that been on, I would sit and watch. Of it course, you would. I love it's that one movie. of the things you can't turn off. You mean all the stations you subscribe to, all seventeen of them, and you didn't get that one that was playing draft day on that given day? Yeah, on that given day, on that given Sunday. <laughs> Any given yeah, Sunday, I, you can watch draft day. Yeah, um, yeah, I do not. I don't get every channel. I, I know. I've gotten I'm rid just, of a lot of channels. I'm just teasing you. And I'm. I'm really thinking about cutting the cord even more because we have so many bloody channels. It's, oh, it's you know what it is, David. Honestly, more than anything else, and we've got to get back to sports talk. But I think there's so much content out there that I'm just overwhelmed and intimidated because there are plenty of series that I never watched that are supposedly some of the greatest. A lot of good TV out there. Yeah, if you have the time to and consume I, I it, don't. we don't have the time to no, consume it. No, now when you have to kind of watch your hours yeah and watch all the games that we do that's the problem back to the Too draft Molly I think that Will Anderson that this he's representative of just one that that guy that we always kind of Carter and Anderson right Carter and Anderson so now that you take away Carter from the equation and I, I think that might be even a little premature but I think you understand why we would it does to me change the overall complexion of the draft for the Bears as we talked to Brad and he doesn't necessarily look at it that way yet but I think that you wonder if it's going to be a a decision between okay if this is the guy we have to have if they convince themselves that he's on tape the guy that is going to be somebody who can make that impact and make them special or as you have suggested accumulating picks moving down I think you know quantity versus quality if the quality of Will Anderson or any one player in the top of the draft compels you to stay or go down no lower than, say, fourth or th- or even second, that's going to be weighed against moving down, accumulating picks to get players who are going to fill your roster and complete your depth chart. You know, I hate to say this because it's going to sound – and again, you know, we've said it a thousand times, and, and the, the loss of human life is the big story here. It's not one player. But there is a part of me that feels from a football perspective only that this is almost a liberating opportunity for the Bears. They no longer have to worry about staying within a set number of spots in order to get the best player for them in the draft. Well, that's interesting. So you're you're essentially saying by removing the value from the top of the draft, in essence, it frees them to maybe – Fill the roster with more players or accumulate more assets, you, and you, I think that's a fair argument. The way you get picks is by trading down, well, okay. not trading one spot you, you, or making two trades. You, you're for right, seven spots, and you've covered a lot of these drafts, and you've seen a lot of the examples that that support that that point and that direction if they choose to go down that road. But we also know that in doing that, and I guess this is what I'm saying, and this is I guess what I fear, if I'm looking at it from the Bears' perspective. You're going to be tempted to do that because you have so little right now. You want to build with more players to choose from that you're going to pass up on somebody that's going to be a Hall of Fame-type guy. Well, and guy. That's, that, that's what you have your, to figure out. Your next Urlacher. 
you know, if if what was their lacquer taken ninth? Yeah, I'm just saying. I, I know, I know. But this is the problem all the time. The problem always is um, not how often is is the is there only one player in a draft, or how often is there you know Micah Parsons? Is this guy Micah Parsons? If he can have that kind of influence and be that kind of player, well, then why would you hesitate to take anybody at number one? Who cares where Parsons went off the board? Would you rather have one guy that you think could be Micah Parsons or several that you think could be maybe a a, a notch lower than that but also make your team more complete? Yeah, I don't think they are one player away from competing for a division. That's why I'm not hell-bent on what I'm talking about. That's that's why I I am reserving some flexibility there because I don't think that there is that one – as brothers, compelling player that, that makes every decision easier to make. They've got the number one overall pick, and it's phenomenal. They they only have three in the top 100, and that's not enough. And there are teams out there that can improve their team significantly more than by one player. So one, one great so, player is the is an unbelievable beginning and a really important thing to have. And I'm not, I'm not dissing that idea, so, but they so, need so much. Well, here's the thing. The funny thing happened on the way to the tank because, or the way to the bottom. The Bears bottomed out so completely yes. that they now have put themselves in a position to really not capitalize from that by getting the player that they're in position to draft above everybody else because there's not that one player that exists. So now they've got to trade that spot and maximize the value by getting several other lesser players because they ha- they are so bad and then they need so much that they cannot even capitalize in drafting first overall. I mean, <laughs> I hate to say it, but they, they, they are in a position where you would prefer them to be the San Francisco 49ers trading, uh, the Miami Dolphins trading the third pick to the San Francisco 49ers for three number ones than actually the Bears – with the number one overall pick. You know what this is all telling me? That this, what we talked about before the combine even began, that this draft is not one of those drafts that people are going to look back at in 25 years and say, boy, did you see the 2023 draft? Wasn't that something else? I, I think Big said something really interesting. He said if, if there was one quarterback there that everybody agreed upon, the Bears would take him. So, in other words, if it was like Caleb Williams, mm-hmm. and I don't even know if that'll be the case next year, who knows what? Well, what if he were coming out find. right now, but if he if he were hypothetically, if he were coming out right now, I think I think people would be coming in droves. The tone of our conversations yes. would be entirely different. If Joe Burrow were coming out right now, if he were that pick, if if uh, Andrew Luck, Andrew Luck is a great example. You know, Peyton Manning is a great example, and there were two in that draft. But if if you had a a, a, you know, a guy that you knew coming in was a sure thing quarterback that was going to make you starter from day one and make you competitive. Pro Bowler from year one, that kind of competitor, that kind of that kind of talent that does would come you around. be in the market for that guy? That's what he said. He said that you wouldn't let anybody else take him. You take him yourself. You take him yourself, and you would find a market for the quarterback who you have under contract, and yeah. you would be trading Justin Fields, and that's what I mean. It would be an entirely different conversation and context for this draft but that isn't the case and there isn't a clear-cut number one so I think that is why 
the Bears aren't going to get as much for that pick as as we all have been led to believe. And it's and if that is the case, are you better off staying where you're at and rolling the dice on the one great player? That's what I'm saying. Or are you better off trying to accumulate more picks? That's the new and conundrum. Taking what you can get. That is if if that was the old dilemma. I think it's it's even more magnified now that you're taking one of those elite players out of the top five consideration because I don't think you can draft Jalen Carter that high because of the propensity of him to get into trouble in some way, shape, or form. I just don't know that you can be wrong, and I think it's too high of a risk. So in that context, I do think that is now the one guy that you can talk yourself into or multiple picks that you can trade down to get. 312-644-6767. Answer that question. Now we're gonna we're gonna bring in Alan Judd next. He is with the uh, Atlanta Journal Constitution. Has done a lot of really good work on this story, and we'll find out if there is uh, more to the peeling of this onion. I want to know about the, the 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 impact of this on Georgia. I'm talking about the university. I'd like to know the answer to a few questions there, and certainly we're gonna find out. Uh, the repercussions for the player himself and his space in the draft and all the rest of it. We'll talk to Ellen Judd next. Mully and Hawn, the score. Georgia. Jalen Daniels would like to, but Jalen Carter's got him again. Did you see that at the end of the play? Yes, he lifted him yes. up with one hand. One hand. My, oh my. I'll tell you, I think he's the best non-quarterback draftable player. But look at him fight through two people. And then watch this. Lift him up. With one hand. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's like, I'm going to be the number one draft pick right there. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. We're delighted to welcome in Alan Judd. He is uh, an investigative reporter with the Atlanta Journal Constitution. They've been doing a remarkable job on following this story of. Uh, of Jalen Carter and uh, his part in a uh, horrific uh, accident, fatality, uh, and we welcome him now to the SCORE Hotline, brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. Alan, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Um, there's so many kind of tentacles to this story. Um, I believe that I read uh, in, in the Atlanta uh, Journal-Constitution shortly after this happened that the police chief had gotten a call in the middle of the night from someone connected to the program who asked him to have the officers cooperate him because he was heading over to this accident site. So the school's involved, the police obviously involved. We know Jalen Carter was, uh, all the information that came out yesterday, shocking as it was. Um, tell us a little bit about all the kind of outside pieces to this story as we look at it from a distance here. Well, yeah, as you said, there are a lot of tentacles to this, but um, it, you know, it's it's um, it's as you you know as you might know, it's a small college town, Athens, Georgia, and uh, uh, the University of Georgia, and especially the University of Georgia football program, is, is the biggest thing there. So um, it, it's when when somebody from one from that team or uh, connected to the program in some way gets into trouble, it's a big deal. And uh, yeah, the, there, there was a university, or I'm sorry, a athletic department representative who sort of fashioned himself as the liaison with law enforcement who um, went to the scene. First, he called the police chief. He's the one who told the police chief that this had happened in the middle of the night, had his you know 
cell phone, um, be able to call him directly. Um, and, um, you know, that there's just this sort of cozy relationship between the, between the police and the university and, and the football program. Um, and, you know, this probably happens in a lot of, a lot of other football, you know, schools around the country, but it's come to a lot of attention here because of this accident, which of course occurred immediately uh, after the celebration of the, of Georgia's second consecutive national championship. So, Alan, Mike and I both have a background in newspapers, so we're very curious and, and found it interesting the timing of this report. It came when uh, just within minutes or hour of Jalen Carter having his day at the NFL Combine, facing the assembled NFL media. He certainly left and addressed things as he needed to. He turned himself in last night and was booked and all those things. But how would you describe the timing of it and why it happened that morning? Was it coincidence or by design, or why did it come out and break on Wednesday morning? Uh, well, it was coincidence, but we had been working on this story really from from the time the accident occurred in January. Um, we have written a few stories along the way, but we, we had gotten – some information that um, some other players were involved in this in this crash, uh, in particular Jalen, um, but, but some others as well, possibly uh, who were at least in the vicinity, if not in directly involved. Um, so we had been, been pushing to get that st- that story uh, just you know nailed down and ready ready to run with, and we were there, um, and then we had uh, spoken to the police department on Monday, um, or I tried to actually, um, let them know that we were working on the story about to run it. And, um, and then we heard that the charges were coming out, um, shortly. We didn't know how exactly when, but, but they, they came out just a few hours after we published. And, and I'm curious, um, when you look at the charges themselves, they're misdemeanor charges. Um, he did, he did change his story several times, right? He left the scene of the accident. He came back a couple hours later. He told police at one point that he did not, um, that he was a mile away or something when it occurred. And then he claimed he was, he, he saw the tail lights, but apparently he, it ended up that he was right next to them. They were racing. I mean, is there more to this story that is yet to come out? Are there, are the chargers, of, are the misdemeanor charges going to remain that way, or could there be more serious charges coming? Um, that's possible. Um, we, we just don't know yet. We that's one of the things we're we're trying to find out. Um, the, the the police mentioned, of course, that, that basically that they have turned all this over to to the local prosecutor, who will make a real decision about how how much to pursue. Um, in in Georgia law. Um, those charges of street racing and um, re- reckless uh, reckless driving are predicates for more serious felony charges if they choose to file them. Um, you know, again, we have no idea if that's going to happen yet. We're trying to find that out. Um, at the moment, this is all all that they've that they have uh, have, have hit him with. It's premature, but it also was part of this. I think inevitably, you wonder about civil litigation and the possibility of the victim's families, two young people lost their lives. And you wonder if the, they will seek some type of rep- retribution. You wonder about the potential for a, a civil lawsuit in this. Has there been any discussion about that yet? Or what do you know? Um, 
Well, in, initially, the uh, the father of Devin Willick, the player who died in, in the crash, um, I'm sorry, the family of De- Devin, um, had a lawyer. Talked, we're talking about filing some legal action. They've had some negotiations with the university and the athletic association over that. Um, we don't really know yet. I don't think they've decided yet what what they're going to do. I I would imagine this might change the the calculus there because you've got another uh, potential defendant here in in Jalen, who of course when he signs his contract will be you know a very wealthy person um, and sort of deep pockets. But we don't know yet what the, what they're going to do, and I, I'm sure they are looking at that as as we speak. Have have you spoken to Kirby Smart yet? Has he expressed any um, understanding of this? Again, what's shocking to me is that it was supposedly in the police report that it was a single car accident, and now we're seeing this expanded, and who knows where it ends up? Yeah, it, that's that's true. They they did, did initially um, describe it in a way that sounded just like you know one car that ran off the road and tragically two people were killed. Um, but it turns out, obviously, there was a lot more to that. Um, Coach Smart has not spoken uh, to the media since the championship game in January. Um, has not taken any questions about this. Has uh, really hasn't appeared in public anywhere that, that we're aware of. Um, he did issue a statement yesterday saying this was deeply concerning. Um, and that, that that the football program would cooperate with law enforcement, but that's that's as far as he's gone with it. Alan, obviously, a lot of times, depending on how these players, their the representation, and I don't mean to their agency necessarily, but their legal counsel will dictate the course this runs. How would you describe Jalen Carter's legal counsel? Is it a local attorney? Is it a re- uh, well-known defense attorney? Uh, does he have any representation yet? If he has representation yet, that they haven't um, made that known. He um, he he did turn himself in at the uh, jail in Athens last night, um, a little after eleven o'clock, I think. Uh, was booked very quickly. Turned it was very quickly turned around. And he was released. At, you know, something like thirteen minutes later. Um, so it was a very very fast process. There was really no no arraignment or anything like that. So he will come up with, with, I'm sure, have some attorneys uh, representing him shortly if he doesn't already. Um, I, I did speak with his agent on Tuesday, and at that point, I uh, don't believe they, they had anybody, um, at least from what he told me, no one really working on it um, You know, at that point. So he, he, he apparently lied to the police, and he misled the prosecutors, if that's, uh, if that's correct in the reporting. Um, when, when all that is said and done, is, is this going to be something that takes on more, you said there's a possibility of more serious charges. How, you know, how far does this go? How far does this reach? There is now a lot of national attention on this story. I would imagine, you know, whatever cover up was going on, whatever kind of, uh, attempt to, uh, to, to keep this from getting out, I would imagine there'll be all sorts of people that saw the two cars racing that, that have uh, different things to say about, uh, about what they witnessed on that night. I would imagine that this could get significantly more serious for Jalen Carter. Yeah. I mean, I think that's possible that, you know, the, the description in the, uh, in the police report is that, that, that these two cars were 
were racing down the street, uh, four lane street, but but you know not a, not an open highway by any stretch of the imagination through the through the city of Athens um, late at night, but still, and they, they were uh, uh, going on the wrong side of the road at times, trying to pass each other. So there were other you know other cars coming. So it was a pretty pretty chaotic kind of crazy situation, and we were expecting that we'll you know hear from more of those people. We also know that the police have um, a good bit of surveillance video from just cameras that are posted along the streets um, that show a lot of this racing activity. And I think when that finally is released, um, that that's going to really you know, show people how, how serious this was. Yeah, that, that that's going to be damning, and that's going to be indelible, and that's going to be the thing, I think, the next the next big turn in this. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so Alan, much, thank Alan. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it, and congratulations on the good work. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Nice that, job. That is Alan Judd from the Atlanta Journal Constitution. We have seen, and it, it's just the reality of, of news. Oh. When you see something in the image of, represented in a video, it's more powerful. It leaves an impression, right. and it maybe it makes you see things in a different way. This is serious enough, but it sounds like it could get worse. Three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven. It's Mully and Hahn score.